0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Spike Week. I am your host, Eric Bimefor. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at Eric Bimefor. Today, we're taking a a step back. We've been in the heart of draft season. We've been going over every micro strategy and macro strategy, every stupid name that we can come up with for, for drafts talking about wide receivers and running backs never drafting running backs all this nonsense right we've been talking about a lot of a lot of different things for the last couple of months really and so i've been drafting a lot we've done some drafts here whether you're watching this on the rotor grinders daily fantasy youtube page or you're listening on the Rotor grinders fantasy football podcast feed or on roddergrinders.com You've seen me do some drafts. Last week I brought in a special guest, Hayden Winks from Underdog Fantasy, to do a live draft. And so, you know, we're we're mid-July now. We're mid-July. We're we're closing in on the NFL season. And I've done, as you see, if you're watching, if you're watching the video, you see on the screen a hundred plus drafts, I think. <laughs> I've done so many drafts with the puppy on underdog filling so fast. I've been just firing so many, so so many drafts over the last while that we're we're definitely well over a hundred. I think we're over two hundred now for me personally. And so I thought it was a good time. We're about we're we're closing in on camp, right? We're two weeks away from camp, so we're still in this kind of dead zone of draft, you know, of of the off season where we're really not getting much new news. Um, and yet ADPs are changing, even though there's really no reason for any of it to be changing. There's just a, uh, a kind of this dead, this dead with weird dead period, especially if you've been drafting on underdog over the last week, you've seen massive, massive ADP changes. Um, I think in general, just as people have gotten sharper, but anyway, all that being said, I've done, like I said, you know, North of 200 drafts across multiple sites, most volume being on underdog. And I feel like, you know, taking a quick step back, we, you, you really have to, the only way to learn kind of the best strategies, not only just like the best strategies overall for drafting, uh, basketball teams, but just like the, The ones you feel most comfortable with, your actual like player rankings or whatever, you can upload rankings or take them from really smart people. But until you, you know, you're on that 30 second clock and have to make the pick, you know, until you start to see the nuance of some of these drafts, right? Sometimes a wide receiver falls to the seventh and sometimes he goes in the fifth. Sometimes Dak Prescott falls to the late sixth. Sometimes he goes early fifth round. There's so much, you know, variability in all these different drafts. But the only way to learn kind of how you feel about the player pool, how you feel about different strategies and how you construct teams and what you think is the best way to construct teams is to draft. And so using that, I've, kind of really honed in on a handful of different bullet points that I really wanted to to kind of bring up since we're in this kind of dead dead period, right? Camp's coming up soon and we'll definitely start to see a lot of things changing during camp. And then at, the closer we get to the season, we'll have a lot more people drafting, probably some more contests, whatever. So having gone through a lot of drafts, I think the biggest, probably the biggest thing is this, this bullet point, number one, and I'm stealing – a phrase from Ben Gretsch and Sean Siegel, um, which, by the way, they th- those two phenomenal resources. And if you haven't uh, listened to their new podcast, "Stealing Bananas," on the Rotoviz Podcast Network, I believe um, Sean and Gretsch absolutely phenomenal. Listen, make sure make sure to check them out. I learn a ton from listening to those guys. But they coined this phrase: drafting backwards. And that's really stuck with me because it, it I didn't think about it that way, but that's really what has kind of how my own personal draft strategy. And I think how kind of everybody should, but it's how my draft strategy this year has really evolved is when I started to think about the back ends of drafts and how that drives your decision making, you know, as, you know, as you construct that whole team, not just in the early rounds, but just thinking through every pick knowing kind of, how you feel about the later rounds. Not even just like specific players that you know, but like positionally who's available later in the rounds. How are you filling out the back end of your roster drives decisions in earlier rounds? And we'll get a little bit to this in some of these, these future bullet points, but I just think that that overall premise, right? We get so locked into strategies, right? Zero RB, robust RB. I like to, troll everybody that, you know, has taken all these running backs. We joke about all that, all that stuff. But where it really comes from is this idea of drafting backwards. And I think that's especially relevant in this particular year. You really have to understand the player pool, right? Not like our opponents, the specific NFL football players, the player pool that you're drafting from within and like, You know, that also means ADPs and, and, and that kind of stuff, how draft rooms typically play out and understanding the strength of a draft as it goes on, right? The beginning of, of drafts every year are strong, right? It's all superstars. It's all pro bowlers, future hall of famers in the first two to three rounds. Like even, even I talked about this last week, we talk about the RB dead zone is a big, huge thing. Um, Again, Ben has coined it and Jack Miller has written very well about it on Established the Run. We're all like really locked in on this RB dead zone, but I think we also need to understand dead zones throughout the draft. Like I talked about last week, the dead, like the true, true dead zone of the draft to me, like setting aside positions is like the ninth round. When you get to the ninth round, there is a very, very clear drop off in the caliber of player that you're getting from the ninth through the end of the draft compared to the first eight rounds. And it's maybe changed a little bit with this helium on, on wide receivers we've seen over the last week. But in general, it's still pretty true because now you're just getting some of the running backs that were fairly decent bets that were top six, seven round round picks. Now they're falling to, to the eighth, even though some wide receivers got bumped up. But there's this, you know, understanding that fact you get to the ninth round and we're talking about Jarvis Landry and James Connor and Darnell Mooney and Gus Edwards and Zach Moss. And you say what you want about some of those guys, Devontae Parker. I like some of these guys. I've drafted multiple of those, of those guys fairly heavily, but the strength of that guy compared to, you know, the 49ers running backs and LaVisca Chenault and Mike Williams and Michael Gallup and then on forward, right, T. Higgins, etc. Those guys are very, very strong, strong bets. And once you get to this ninth round, it really starts to drop off. And then moving on to this, this next bullet point, a big lesson that I think I've learned is there is a huge wide receiver drop off, even beyond that like ninth round drop off overall in drafts. It kind of changes and it's fluctuated again a little bit differently lately. If you've been drafting on underdog in the last week, the wide receivers have gotten bumped up quite a bit. But it used to be around the anywhere from 12th to 14th round. After there's a tier with like some guys that I like, like a Cole Beasley, you know, the Bills, secondary wide receivers, Rondale Moore, those types um were in this range going anywhere, you know, yeah. You, now they're a lot, of, a lot of times higher, but in this 12, 13 round range, after that, it's wide receivers bad. We're, we're After that, we're legitimately talking guys that might get cut, might not see the field. You know, there's some rookies mixed in there, but it we are, these are not great bets. And so being aware of this wide receiver drop off is huge right? It goes back to this drafting backwards thing. If I understand the quality of wide receiver, where it drops off and how precipitously it drops off at the end of drafts, that informs my decisions earlier in drafts. Because I know, like maybe last year, I was able to get, I don't know, Cole Beasley was going, he's still going too late. But right here, Cole Beasley in the 15th, 16th round last year, smash wide receiver. You got guys that you just, you knew were going to be on the field. You knew were going to get fairly significant volume later in drafts. Even like some of these rookies. We like to quote K.J. Hamler because Justin Herzig uh, got a huge K.J. Hamler a week late that helped him win last year's underdog Best Ball Mania tournament. But like KJ Hamler was a second round rookie, really good prospect. If you watch college football, he was a ball. He was uncoverable at at Penn state. He's kind of a baller. Those kind of players now, you know, KJ Hamler goes, goes later now because they have Cortland Sutton's back. Um, And they have some uncertainty, you know, whatever. I like KJ Hamler again this year, but even KJ Hamler is up a little bit higher in ADP, but you know, the, Deami Browns, Terrace Marshalls. These guys are pushed up to the 14th round, maybe 15th round, depending on, on your draft. These, especially lately, they're pushed way up. So even those flyer types, you can't get at the end of drafts, the end of drafts. It's not that there aren't some bodies there, but we're, we really start to get thin at the end of drafts and at, at wide receiver. And so conversely, Again, moving on to another lesson, we see how strong the late round running back is. And part of it, again, like kind of taking a step back in terms of that, just the overall like environment of the NFL right now, there's just not, we're not living in the days of Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson, and even like late LaDainian Tomlinson. And we're not living in the days where half the teams had workhorse running backs that never left the field. We're living in the days where like CMC and Dalvin Cook, right? And then maybe Zeke, but they do have Tony Pollard. Maybe Saquon, but he's coming back off injury and they're already reporting. He's may not be, you know, the full snap player to start the year. Derrick Henry doesn't play passing downs. Alvin Kamara still only plays 60 to 70% of snaps, even as good as he is, right? Joe Mixon. They're talking about him being like this, this workhorse, you know, Cam Akers, we think is probably going to be a workhorse, but they're not lacking for, you know, Daryl Henderson is a good player with high draft capital as well. We can't guarantee that. So there's, you just see how few of these like workhorses there are. And so in turn, this combination of all of these things, wide receiver falls off tremendously at the, at the end of drafts. And there's just all these running backs because every team is using multiple and not only is every team using multiple. So you have guys going later in drafts that are legitimately going to play. Like I, (laughs) I get attached to some of these, these late round running backs because, you know, because of my general draft strategy and I draft a lot from anywhere from like Tony Pollard on, I'm drafting tons of all these, um, you know, handcuffs and committee backs But like, it just proves, proves the point, you know, there's all, there's all of these guys into my guy, of course, Darrington Evans, who's my brand guy now in the, you know, he used to go in the 18th and now some of you sickos are taking him in the 15th. And I hate you by the way, but there's like every handcuff running back outside of the ones that we know are like truly elite. If they get the role, right. Pollard and Latavius and Henderson there's like all these handcuffs late, right? Like Darrington Evans, like Samaj P. Ryan, like Devontae Booker behind Saquon Barkley, like Damian Williams behind David Montgomery, and then pass catching backs like James White, Giovanni Bernard, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Dolphins backup running back, Chargers backup running back. And I get, I totally get why a lot of these guys go a little bit later, there's uncertainty. And so that has to be factored into the capital that you're, you know, you would potentially spend on these guys, but like ancillary backs and handcuffs to like legitimately really valuable roles are like sometimes undrafted. And they're definitely, you know, like I said, everybody has pushed up Darrington Evans now to like the 16th on average but, like, even, you know, moving back into these the back end of these drafts, there's all these guys compared to – like, I know Damian Williams is going to make the team, and I know Damian Williams is going to play. You know, some people kind of disagree with me on Darrington Evans being the handcuff, but I feel pretty strongly that he's going to be the passing down back. And Derrick Henry doesn't play passing downs. Jeremy McNichols, who is still on the team um, – but he was Evans was the passing down back and like change of pace back for Henry last year before he got hurt. It's like he's gonna play. He played like three games and he had one really, really usable fantasy week, and that was with Henry playing. Right? We know what we know what uh <laughs> we know what happens when when uh, Joe Mixon goes down, Giovanni Bernard took over most of the work, and then Pirine actually was productive in the one game that he got extended run. You know, David Montgomery ended up being a smash last year because he was uh you know in this full-time role, this every every down role. Well, Damian Williams is very suited for that and would be thrust into that if if David Montgomery were to be out, which Tariq Cohen is apparently not not fully recovered. But you no, know, those are just micro examples of the fact that late-round running back has all this has all this value. And so when you combine that, when you take those first three bullet points and you combine them all together I'm like okay there's all these late round guys that are good bets you know as as a whole pick your favorites we all have our different favorites but these are like someone is popping from here probably multiple guys are popping from here there's just too much strength at this area of the draft right whether it's the whether it's James White types or whether it's straight handcuff guys like P Ryan guys are going to pop multiple guys are going to, are going to pop throughout the year. So you have this strength and then you have, when you get past the 12th round, all the wide receivers are hot garbage. (laughs) So you combine that and you start thinking, okay, I need to draft from the back. Okay. Running backs are really strong. Wide receivers fall off and then wide receivers get strong. Again, you start to combine these things and it really starts to inform, inform your strategy. That combination of things that just the draft environment that we're in, the, how the market has kind of evaluated that from that wide receiver drop off on back, I think is probably the number one biggest thing I've learned, this drafting backwards idea. And I love that that phraseology or however, whatever word you want to use. But the other thing that I've gotten on a little bit more lately is you know what we call the onesie positions. How much kind of leverage we can gain with these onesie positions, quarterback and tight end, right? You only need to use one of them. Play one quarterback in your starting lineup and one tight end in your starting lineup. In the field, I use this phrase all the time, drafting as if you're right. And I think at the onesie positions specifically, I typically use it, have used it more so like, okay, In the early rounds, I was right about this guy. So now I need to make my decisions moving forward, assuming I was right. But I think we don't do it enough at these onesie positions. And here's what I mean. Even if you feel a little uncomfortable, and I just did a, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but I do think it's an important point. I just did a podcast about two quarterbacks and two tight end like builds on, on your teams and how I think they're powerful. And so it's a little bit piggybacking on that. But we we get fearful of, like, if a draft doesn't play out our way, right, everybody's gone through it. Maybe you're setting up a stack and the guy in front of you, you know, you set up that that cowboy stack and somebody takes stack and he doesn't have any cowboys in front of you. Or you, you start to set up the Tua stack. You know, that's your fallback plan. Oh, didn't get my cowboys. The quarterback didn't work out for me. But I have a dolphin stack set up. And then another guy in front of you takes Tua. And all of a sudden you have, you know, a little bit lesser talent at quarterback than maybe you would like. But I think we need to embrace that a little bit more, especially, especially at, you know, these, these onesie positions where if, you know, you've now made the way that draft played out, you've made a little, a lower probability bet, right? Like I have like, let's say Carson Wentz and Ryan Fitzpatrick teams. I've made that bet on those two and those two offenses. The the benefit of those guys, you know, instead of being fearful for the fact that your quarterbacks are not as good as the league, you know, as, as your other players in your 12 team league betting on those two guys exceeding, you know, exceeding expectations or just like getting you enough, like doing enough, for you is more valuable betting understanding that it's a lower probability outcome but betting on that outcome and using your other chips aka your other roster spots to fill out those other positions so now you're like all right I need those guys to have a big gear and I still might even lose some points at quarterback but instead of taking Ben Roethlisberger or Daniel Jones or Jameis Winston or one of these low upside late round quarterbacks, hoping to get what well, I mean, how many points are you really gaining with one of those guys? Very, very few. Very few. Bet on the fact that you were right at that onesie position, and now use that use that other chip to allow you to to gain because in theory you're better. At wide receiver, you're better at running back, maybe better at tight end because everybody else spent more capital on their quarterbacks. So now use that to your advantage. And the same thing goes for tight end. It's not comfortable to have. I always use like Anthony Ferkser and Cole Komet as my two tight ends. It's not very comfortable when everybody else has Kelsey and all these other good tight ends. But there's a huge benefit in betting on that outcome where those guys are more than enough. Whether it be Cole Komet, Cap, you know, Justin Fields elevates the Bears offense and Cole Komet becomes this elite tight end, right? Or the Titans start throwing a lot more. Johnu's gone. Ferkser is the new Waller. Furks is Logan Thomas. Ferkser is Logan Thomas. You know, Furkser or Comet or Logan Thomas from last year. If you can identify that guy, you know, if you happen to hit on that guy. Wasting another spot at that onesie position is worthless. So you would rather bet bet on that happening on your team. Understanding it might not, but you want to maximize your payoff, right? I want to get out. I, I drafted Ferks are in Komet because tight end didn't play out the way that I wanted, but now I've made that bet. Don't, don't be afraid of the fact that they're lower probability bets, embrace the fact that they're lower probability bets because the payoff, if you didn't invest very much in tight end and you got a top five season, that payoff is huge. If you structured your team in a way to allow you to to maximize that payoff, right? Don't use that 17th round pick on another tight end. That's that's like has no upside to do anything for you. Use it on another handcuff running back. Use it on Darrington Evans. Use it on Samaje P. Run. Use it on whoever you prefer, Damian Williams. Because those guys can help, you know, you're creating this 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 parlay. Again, it's it's low probability. But if if Ferkser hits, now I got another chip to bet on Damian Williams. Oh, Montgomery goes down. I got elite tight end value for cheap. And now I got another really valuable running back, as opposed to spending another third. Chip on this onesie position. That one, that one, I personally screwed up a lot early on. I was taking too many teams with three quarterbacks and three tight ends. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for it. Like, if you really get buried at tight end, like you even miss that tier, like I love me some Mo Alley Cox or whatever, but if you get really buried at tight end and you're like, you have Austin Hooper and Eric Ebron, whatever. I'm a sicko, and I still might take two, but I understand taking three. But if you're if you have upside guys, especially if they're correlated with your team or correlated within a stack, I think it's way more worth it to try to capitalize on the scenarios in which that build was right. Right, Travis Kelsey hasn't always been a first-round pick. Darren Waller hasn't always been a second-round pick. They had to come from somewhere. So find that guy. Find the next Darren Waller in that build. Find the next whatever quarterback, Justin Herbert, find the next Justin Herbert instead of, you know, handicapping your team because you feel uncomfortable about it. And so moving on with the, the quarterback stuff, why I also feel more strongly about this as it, especially as it pertains to quarterback is just, I love the elite quarterbacks as much as everybody. And I've taken a lot of them. And I, I'm not saying that taking an elite quarterback is not optimal. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. But what I do think we probably need to do, I certainly need to do, is embrace how deep deep quarterback is this year. Particularly in terms of upside and floor, honestly. <laughs> I use the even just using the the floor example. You say whatever you want about Carson Wentz. I get I'm probably a little higher on Carson Wentz than than the field is. But like you have a quarterback who I know, he, I know how bad he was last year, trust me, but not that far removed from an MVP caliber season. Outlier season, you can say that. That's totally fine. But behind an elite offensive line, the weapons are okay. They're definitely going to be able to run the ball. The division is horrid. Gets to play the Texans, gets to play the Jaguars. Honestly, the Titans, <laughs> pretty bad too. The division is horrible. Good coaching staff. You know, so, and he goes in the 15th or, you know, I think I took him in the 16th today. And Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been a smash fantasy quarterback his entire career whenever he's playing. Now he's on an offense with Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson, Logan Thomas, Deami Brown, JD McKissick loaded going late. Right. And so those are just a couple examples of floor plays that exist at quarterback that like We can take advantage of on top of them. There's this mid tier of mainly rookies. And I'm going to include like Tua in that tier as well. Let's just call him a rookie. Basically pretty close to a rookie, but like all the rookie quarterbacks and Tua, you know, the runner, right? Runners, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. I mean, have we had a class come in with this much upside, at least not in, in a long time? Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence is a better runner than people give him credit for. There's all these rookies. So there's this tier that you you get to like Trey Lance and, and Trevor Lawrence on back through Carson Wentz. There's this tier of all these quarterbacks that are really, really good fantasy assets and high upside. And so I've been maybe even sometimes too focused on those fifth, sixth, seventh round elite quarterbacks, because we know last year, look what happened you needed those guys, but that's a one-year sample. That was a one-year thing. Maybe it happens again. Maybe it happens again, but Lamar was the MVP not that long ago when he was going late. He was in the Trey Lance range. You know, what if Trey Lance is Lamar Jackson? What if Trevor Lawrence is Andrew Luck? What if, what if Justin Fields is freaking Patrick Mahomes? Like I, you know, I, they're, they seem wild, but th- those are ceiling outcomes that we can reasonably get from later round quarterbacks. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is just a bankable fantasy producer. You know, Carson Wentz, I think, is you know, Colts quarterbacks in general. Jacoby Brissett was a was a relatively high floor quarterback for the Colts. So there's there's all those guys at this position. And so, and I think so many of us are focused on the fact that like last year, Josh Allen, you know Dak before he got hurt, Kyler Lamar. You know we know Mahomes is great. Russ was nearly the smash you needed for you know until they kind of fell off. There's that tier and they're awesome. But I do I do think, especially as kind of the mid mid range, you know, and wide receivers get pushed up and the the draft evolves a little bit, the draft market evolves a little bit. Embracing, like, you know, uh, Justin Fields, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Trey Lance, Carson Wentz builds with those two kind of guys or Trevor or two of the rookies. And, and, and I, I want to throw like Zach Wilson in there too. I kind of like Sam Darnold too as a bet. But like in Brit- all those guys, like Teddy Bridgewater was a font. I had Teddy Bridgewater on like punt quarterback teams and I used to score plenty last year on good teams, teams that advanced. It's, just, it's so deep that I think we need to embrace that a little bit more. And, you know, J.J. Zacharyson like use the late round quarterback strategy. We've kind of gone away from that because of what happened last year. and And I think we've we've moved a little bit too far. So I'm trying to moving forward, embrace that a little bit more and embrace a little bit of that unknown of like those rookie quarterbacks and like maybe quarterbacks that have changed teams or whatever, because I think. You know, if if you can take advantage of of all those other spots on your roster with, you know, take Kelsey in the first round, knowing you're not going to take a fifth round quarterback and take T. Higgins or Brandon Ayuk in the fifth round. Instead, take your anchor running back, you know, take Kelsey and take Gibson, take your anchor running back and then just hammer wide receivers th- before we get to what we talked about that drop off. Hammer your wide receivers through there and get your quarterbacks in that area where it's awkward in the 12th round. Right, get take Justin Fields and take Ryan Fitzpatrick in that kind of awkward dead zone, and then you've gotten the best of the wide receivers and the running backs. You still have upside with those quarterbacks, and then you can you know use our late round running backs to fill out your roster at the end of drafts. Maybe a late round tight end, and so all that kind of com- combines into the thing I talk about <laughs> too, too much, too much that uh, one of our granders executives cam mcmillan jokes he has a a buddy that watches some of my content and it's like a drinking game of how many times i'll say fragility or or something like that and I, i do use the term fragility too much but it works part of the brand now but it just embracing that fragility get getting uncomfortable and building teams to certain scenarios is how, you know, scenario-based drafting, again, to quote Sean Siegel, using scenario-based drafting and capitalizing on all these factors that we've discussed here today that exist within the draft market, whether, you know, whether it's overreact, you know, people are overreacting or people are drafting poorly structured teams or whatever. Embrace more of that unknown. Like, I, I, like, like to shout it from the mountaintops and I'm not certain that I've done it all that well up up until now, at least maybe I've started to do it better over the last like 25, 50 drafts. But I don't know that before that I was even embracing it enough because I was so locked into um, some of these maybe preconceived notions that weren't necessarily correct and not embracing getting, getting uncomfortable. And so just, There's not anything specific, you know, fragility is not a concept, but we need to build teams that are fragile in some form or fashion, right? It's impossible to, impossible is not the right word. It's much more difficult to build a team that is, you know, that is anti-fragile in an extremely fragile game. Football in particular is like the most fragile sport that exists. Guys are going to get hurt like crazy. There's so much unknown that plays out throughout the course of the entire year. So the only way to win in that environment that you're in is to capitalize on it with teams that win in scenarios of fragility. And one like factor that has been stuck in my head, thinking about the fact that how, how different the best ball space is right now. Like we're not even to camp. We're two weeks away from camp. (laughs) We're not even all that close to training camp. And yet we've got huge contests filling in two weeks on underdog. We've got multiple million dollar to first contests. And we're drafting so much earlier than we were before, before training camp and before preseason. And we know what happens during that time. Guys get hurt. Guys emerge that we didn't expect. And so now is the time however you would like to apply it to take even an even more fragile approach to your drafts right i'm drafting right or wrong i personally am drafting tons of handcuff running backs even on teams where it might seem like even on a zero running back team i don't draft a running back till the 10th round and I, and most people would be taking Typical zero running back targets, Gus Edwards, James White, these guys that can limp you along and get you some points until maybe you're, you're full on, you know, handcuffed running backs can get there. You know, they benefit from an injury or whatever. But I don't think that at this point in the season that we even want to do that as much. You know, I'm not. I'm not – always totally taking a bunch of handcuffed guys, but I would like to capitalize on the fragility of where we're at in draft season, right? If, if Cam Akers goes down, Daryl Henderson is not going to be available in the 12th round anymore. And if that happens, my zero running back teams, I don't really want, (laughs) I don't really want Zach Moss and Gus Edwards on those teams because I now just got a first round running back in the 12th round. So I, you know, I don't, I don't need to limp as limp along as much, especially on hero RB teams, anchor RB, whatever you want to call it. You know, you take Antonio Gibson, or you take Zeke, or you take Saquon, or whatever. I just need, I just need one of those things to bounce my way. Right, Joe Mixon goes down, and I have some Ajay P. Ryan. I would certainly much rather have that than James White or Giovanni Bernard. So that's just one example of a way I'm trying to attack some of the, the variance that's going to play out. Right. And part of the, a huge, huge part of the variance is injuries in football. And so embracing that and creating really fragile rosters. When I post a screenshot and it has an anchor running back, Antonio Gibson, and then nothing but handcuffed running backs around him. People are like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like you're never like, you're going to lose. You're going to take zeros at running back too. But I'm okay embracing that even more right now because of the point in the season, you know, the point in the off season, the point in draft season that we're in. And I think those are the kinds of things, not even just that. You don't have to apply it that way. But those are the types of things that we should be thinking about when it comes to fragility. And so those are pretty much... You know, I'm sure there's plenty more. Like, don't pump up your favorite late-round running back. I have plenty more lessons. Like, don't scream from the mountaintops every time you go on a show about Darrington Evans if you still want to be able to take him in the 18th round. That's probably – I should have done that first. That's my biggest lesson. Don't go on ship chasing if you want to still get Darrington Evans in the 18th round. Or if you want (laughs) if you don't want every wide receiver to get pumped up don't do content. But overall, these are like the kind of lessons that I've really, really learned. And I've learned a lot doing a, a, a ton of drafts. And I have tons of drafts I probably wish that I could redo. But the only way to get to this point for anybody is to draft. And so I thought I would share kind of some of these lessons. Hopefully, even if you disagree, hopefully some of that, you know, sets in like, oh, That's an interesting way to think about it. And if you have feedback, different thoughts on on any of these subjects, different thoughts on ways to attack fragility, as always, you can mention me, uh, you know, tag me on Twitter. I try to respond to every single one if I can. If you're not signed up, I always forget to do this, and I'm going to get in trouble by my bosses. If if you have not signed up on Underdog Fantasy, use promo code GRINDERS for a free Best Ball Mania 2 ticket. You're probably signed up. just in case and so i don't get fired that is it i'll be back on wednesday with another episode of spike week